Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The purpose of this podcast is to expose you to great people who are helping cats daily, and hopefully you will learn a little bit more about what you might do in your community with cats. Today, we're speaking with Laura Burns. Laura grew up in a suburb of Rochester, New York, and didn't realize that there were cats living outside. She didn't think she ever saw one. After attending college in Chicago, she moved to Boston. She lived there for many years without seeing cats outside. She had to meet someone in the cat rescue business who opened her eyes. She was happy to discover that it was possible to help those many, many cats through trap, neuter, return. Just by neutering them and preventing the birth of more, they could live healthy, safer lives. In 2003, she founded Hubcaps, Hubcats, frustrated by the time it took to trap every cat in the colony, she made a homemade drop trap based on a picture I'd seen on the, she'd seen on the internet. This was such an improvement. With the guidance and support from me, with availability of low-cost spay-neuter resources, Laura Burns TNR'd 4,000 cats in the Boston area. Laura and her father later developed a folding version of the drop trap and sold 300 of them all over the world. In 2008, she relocated back to Rochester and joined Habitat for Cats, a TNR-focused group, becoming president in 2014. Laura, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you coming, and I'm so looking forward to this conversation. I had actually forgotten you had trapped 4,000 cats in the Boston area. That's truly amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you for having me. I actually... I remember one cat in particular that you trapped back in the back in the days um, when we were still finishing off our colonies in Newburyport, and we still had a few cats that were hard to trap cats in the Newburyport area. And we had just met, and you told me about this drop trap, and the ladies who were trapping up on the waterfront had been trying for years and years and years to get this last cat at a colony up in Salisbury. And we got you to come up, and I believe you trapped that cat in about 20 minutes, therefore <laughs> finishing that colony off. And I cannot tell you how many hours Jan spent trying to trap that last cat at that colony, and you just went up and just got her right away. So I was sold on the drop trap the minute you did that. Right, yeah. There were a couple. There was the cat also somewhere up in that, that area that had been ear-tipped, but she was never spayed. So we had to, and she snuck somehow snuck through with a with a uh, uh, counterfeit ear tip, and uh, so we had to ca- we caught her too. But yeah, I remember that cat too. That that <laughs> colony that was quite a, a colony there. They were so spoiled, they just wouldn't. Uh, you you just it was very hard to trap them. They were so spoiled. Yes, the Newburyport and Salisbury crowd, they, they definitely uh, loved feeding their cats, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, that's right. We had one volunteer who every Sunday religiously went to all of our feeding stations and would feed everybody sardines. Mm. So uh, they were definitely spoiled, but I guess it's appropriate being on the ocean to get their sardines every, every week. 
So, well, your story just sounds just so fascinating because you were born and bred, learn, you know, knowing TNR. It wasn't like you came from a shelter background. You came, you went directly right into uh, trapping ferals. Can you talk a little bit about your experience in Boston and learning to trap while in the city? I guess I started out, uh, I, I help, was helping a lady who, um, Ashira Khan, who, was, who had a shelter in the city, and I'd lost my cat, and I met her, and uh, she took me to a fundraiser one day, which was a outdoor, um, um, it was an outdoor yard sale kind of thing for, to raise money for, the, for her shelter. And uh, a woman came up, and she was wringing her hands um, over. She was looking at the little cat uh, knickknacks at, for sale, and she was wringing her hands and saying that the cats were just going to drive her crazy. And I just asked her innocently what what she was talking about, and she. It turned out that she was feeding about a hundred cats in Brighton. Um, using big bread trays, big um, baking trays full of food every day. She'd bring out these huge trays of food, and the cats would just come from all over the place. And to, I had never seen anything like that. I just, you know, I'd never seen one cat outside, much less a 100 cats outside. And um, so no one else seemed to be stepping up to help this lady, so I offered to help her. Um, and the, and they assured me that they told me about TNR at that point. And um, somehow they put me in touch with D. Dennis, who showed me how to trap. And I needed that person to kind of hold my hand the first time. Um, but once I saw that cat walk into the trap and the door closed behind it, I was, I think I was, um, uh, I got the bug. <laughs> The trapping bug. And how does that feel to have the trapping bug? What What's that like? Well, it's just, it feels, you feel all of a sudden that this is really possible. You could really do something for these cats. And I could see right away. I mean, I think when you, your first experiences with, a, with two or three cats or, you know, a mom and some kittens, you think, well, geez, you know, I, I'll find homes for the kittens and I'll, I'll get the mom fixed. But there was just no way that that would work with this situation. There was just no way that you could you could take that um, individualistic approach. So I think I, I jumped in immediately to, you know, thinking about the bigger picture and the numbers and, the, and realizing that the more you do for any individual cat, the fewer cats you can help. You're just saying, well, I can't help all those cats. So I wanted... I think I, from the beginning, I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to affect the lives of more more cats rather than fewer cats. And I, I really think of you as sort of the, the pro with the drop trap. How did you learn to use a drop trap? Well, I remember trapping at Brookline High School, and uh, I just went back time after time. It wasn't even very far away from me. It was just down the street, but... I would go back time after time, and there would be uh, the cats would were just not interested in the um, in in the in the in the box traps. I just couldn't uh, uh, lure them in, 
And oftentimes that's the case. I think maybe 50% of cats will, will happily go into a box trap if you set it up right. Uh, and the way we do it here is we tie open the trap a week ahead of time and start the food in the opening and then gradually move the, the food back to the back so that the cat gets uh, habituated to going in the trap. Um, and I think you can, that increases your odds of, of catching the cats. But if you're trapping someplace where you can't leave the trap, um, you need a trap that is less intimidating and looks less like a trap. So, so having the drop trap, um, which is open on three sides, it's a, it's a big box with no bottom. A big uh, like a like a trap, but it's it's large with no bottom, and propped up on one side. Then it's open on three sides, and I think a larger number of percentage of cats will walk in, just walk in. And um, you can trap uh, multiple cats if the cats are willing to eat together. They can they'll uh, walk in and eat out of the same bowl. Then you can trap. We I think our record is seven cats and one one drop of the trap wow so it saves a lot of time and you can get your mom the mom and the kittens together if they're eating together which is a good thing if the kit the kittens are young enough you can catch them all at once which saves you a lot of um, anxiety if you leave a kitten behind or um, or you have the mom or you have the kittens and not the mom so that it's and you can catch cats that are debilitated, um, injured, sick. They're just it's just less they it's less of a suspicious thing to to have them go into the drop trap. So we've I um, it was it was a great uh, leap forward in in the technology for me to be able to to have that and to catch all these cats that um, had were resistant to going into a box trap. Do you only use the drop trap or do you use a combination? Um, I primarily use the drop trap. Um, it, it's funny, it's strange. Here in um, in Rochester, I I have um, many times I'm, I can't, I don't know why this is, I didn't, I didn't seem to run into this situation in Boston, but I will have these places where I'm trapping where uh, I can't see the trap from where I'm sitting. So if I'm sitting in my car in the driveway or uh, and the, the trap, the feeding station is around the back of the house and or for some reason, or it's, the cats only come out at five o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning when it's dark. So I've, I have a camera now so that I can watch the trap. Also, my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. So I can't see ear tips from 100 feet away as I used to. So um, I'm using, uh, but I'm finding that's, that's uh, very handy to have a, a camera system. What form of trap do, do you use for the box trap? I use uh, the Tomahawk uh, 606 and 608. And it's just, it just takes a lot less time. I, I, uh, I know neighborhood cats, uh, they used to set, you know, you'd set, 20 traps and put food and you know paper and every in 20 traps and then catch as many cats as you could that way and then go in with a drop trap I could never see 
the I couldn't. It seemed like a waste of time to me. I'd I'd rather um, use the drop trap and catch as many as I can. I guess I'm not trying to catch the whole colony in one one day. Usually, I'm. I usually it takes me a couple days to do it. When you're looking at a colony, um, your ultimate objective is to get everybody in the colony sterilized. You're a hundred percent kind of girl. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm getting better and better at telling which ones are the females. So um, often I will trap. Um, I'll I'll just I'll content myself with the females because here in Rochester we have um, the bottleneck that we have experience is the lack of um, uh, spay neuter uh, resources. So uh, if I can, uh, and often I'm not the only, I'm not the trapper. I'm um, advising someone and helping a new per- a new person to trap their colony at, at that's at some distance from me. So I'm trying to leverage my experience and help people um, get their colonies, their backyard colonies, under control. And I w- and they usually know who the females are. So we generally start with the females to stop uh, reproduction. And then we um, will trap the 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 ones that we don't know, whether they're males or females. And then we trap the males in the winter time. That's a, that's the ideal. But yes, a hundred percent. And are you achieving that with the colonies that you're working with? Um, yeah, yeah. Generally, it's that's it's great. very. Uh, it's very, I, I, that was the big revelation for me moving here is, um, and, and I realized trapping 4,000 cats in Boston that it just wasn't enough and that the people um, that I was doing the trapping for, in many cases, they could have done it themselves. There was, you know, but they, because there was someone who was better who had the equipment, you know, who was better, they they just stood back and let me handle it. But they consequently don't have as much of a stake in keeping the colony trapped. And as everybody knows, 100%, you can trap the colony 100%, but as soon as you turn your back, the, the clock is ticking and another cat is going to show up um, from, you know, from down the street. So you, so my, when I left Boston and, and everyone, and the people that I trapped for were, you know, were so upset and they didn't know what they were going to do now because, you know, because I, and I was, and I was very upset too, as I just swore that I was never going to do that again, that I was never going to trap for people. I was going to show them how to do it, you know, teach a man how to fish. I had to teach. So now and and that's what I discovered when I came here. The people uh, who were doing the bulk of the trapping were the, were the caretakers themselves. Um, and I know that you're not going to find every caretaker is not going to want to do it. And um, I I think I just want to work with the people. Those are the people that uh, make me feel that it's possible to um, to get this you know, to get the outdoor cat population stopped is the pe- are the people that um, wanna, want to, to pitch in. They just need a little, they need the help. They need 
the equipment, they need the experience, they need, and I can help them be successful and, um, and feel, you know, really feel good and, and be successful and stop the population from growing anymore in their backyards. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. The Community Cats podcast is generously sponsored by the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, one of the nation's pioneers in successful TNR programs. In 1992, in response to a persistent feral and homeless cat population along the Merrimack River in Newburyport, MRFRS began a concerted effort to trap, sterilize, and return a colony of over 300 cats, setting up and maintaining feral feeding stations. That colony was successfully reduced to zero cats by 2008. Today, MRFRS's activities include two mobile, low-cost spay-neuter vans known as the Catmobile, an adoption program with a focus on special needs and hard-to-place cats, veterinary assistance programs for low-income individuals as well as unowned cats, and mentoring for local animal welfare organizations seeking to improve their TNR effectiveness. For more information, visit www.mrfrs.org. So by doing the work in the different structure in Rochester, has that scaled up the number of cats that, um, that you've been able to assist on an annual basis? Um, I would say probably not because of the limitation of, um, for one thing, they're new newbies. Uh, I think, you know, I think it does over time. Because those people now know how to trap. They've worked out all the difficulties in getting the cats to the clinics. And uh, they know that it exists and they'll look for it. So I think over time that um, you're building an army, you know, one soldier at a time. And I think um, that we need to we need to tackle the, the problem of the, the spay-neuter resources. We don't have the volunteer clinics uh, on the weekends that we did in in uh, Boston, and we don't have vets that are willing to do low-cost bay-neuters the way we did in Boston. So that's that's the bottleneck. But I think, but it and it's 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 um, I think the it does happen that the people who uh, that I train will also help their neighbors. Because there are other cats in the neighborhood, um, and that always makes my day when somebody does that. Right when someone helps their neighbor or helps someone else, they become it's... a resource. Yeah, and they pass it forward. I think that's great. Um, just one other sort of operational question um, that I know every trapper would want to ask you is: Are what are your favorite baits to use? Um. Well, I don't believe there's a magic bait. And I usually, uh, I, so I really don't, uh, once in a while I will buy a rotisserie chicken if I'm really nervous and we really have to get these cats, you know, on a deadline. Um, so I guess you could say that that was, that was, uh, that's my, my uh, Hail Mary pass. But um, usually I'm just using, you know, pure, uh, Purina regular uh, food, a dry food and uh, Friskies canned food, um, that, that's usually sufficient if the cats are hungry. The cat, you know, I don't, with using the drop trap, nice thing about the drop trap, you don't have to starve the cats because there's not a big, they don't have to be starving to, to risk 
going in the drop tap because it doesn't look that risky. So we just use a, a big bowl of regular food and someone will take the bait and eat out of it, usually a male. And you can just, so he can do that. And since you're in control of the trap, you can just wait until the cat that you're trying to get goes in. What are your thoughts on relocating feral cats? <laughs> oh my God. I've been spending, uh, I've spent the whole, uh, since January, we've been relocating a couple of colonies. Um, so I used to be uh, adamantly opposed to it, thought it was totally too dangerous. Um, and, uh, and yet, you know, when, it, when you ha come down to a situation where the cats seem to have um, nothing available to them or they're in, in danger, I, I guess it's like a last resort. I treat it as a last resort. Then I'm willing to um, I'm willing to to attempt it, and I, it, I they basically have to have no options. So if they you know if they do get killed um, or lost, then you know we we bas they basically had no option where they were. So if um, and I and I have had some successful relocations, and I'm trying trying to keep track of the um of the loss the, uh, to cats so that we you know I try to do it scientifically the way Margaret used to do it so I know realistically what the chances are and what are your thoughts with regards to feral kittens do you have a certain age cutoff that you do or what what do you what would guidance would you give people if they're trapping feral kittens well, you you don't really have the option to trap feral kittens unless they're weaned, or they're starting to be weaned. If they're eating solid food, then you start to have the option. Then they will go into a trap with their mom usually, and you can they can go into a trap with their mom if you're using a drop trap. Um, and ideally, if you're going to if you have the capability of uh, socializing feral kittens, you want to get them once they're weaned and before they're eight weeks old, I'd say. So if you can get them when they're about six weeks old, um, they'll hiss a little bit and spit a little bit, but they'll turn around quickly and um, with some attention. You have to be willing to you know, put them in a crate, a small crate, and um, and let them get a little hungry and come to you for food. Realize that you're bringing food and come to you for food. Um, and if you, so I think if you have the, if you can, if you can, um, if you think you can get them adopted or you have an agency who will take them uh, once they're um, eight weeks old and if you sweeten the pot a little by spaying and neutering them, I think that's that's fine if they're uh, if they're getting on towards three months, then I think it's um, then I think I would um, spay and neuter them. I just don't think they will unless you want to adopt them yourself. I and you know since I'm working with the caretakers and they don't have a house full of cats already usually. Uh, that's a possibility. They can, the I think uh, older kittens uh, bond with one person, and um, that will be the feeder usually. 
and they can bond with another person, but they're not going to do well in a shelter situation. So we, and I think it's being a feral cat is a a legitimate lifestyle choice. So, um, and three months is the cutoff, uh, is the starting point for us for uh, getting cats spayed and neutered. How can people uh, find you, Laura, if they have questions or would like to follow up? Um, they can reach me at um, hubcatsboston at AOL.com. And is there anything else you'd like to share with your listeners today? I can't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the well. chance. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, I mean, you are just a phenomenal. I I feel privileged to have known you and to continue to know you. You know, over all the years, um, you were always our bright light in Boston um, when we thought we were all overwhelmed with cats about twenty odd years ago. And the the scene is very different now. And much of the the seeds were planted, you know, by your hard work. And you had mentioned D. Dennis's hard work. Donna Bishop certainly was involved in those early days. Um, so there definitely, you know, was a crowd of people trapping cats in Boston, you know, in the mid 90s, early 2000s. And um, they really just sort of set the stage for, you know, tremendous amount of progress that's happened in the city. Um, and so I thank you for all of that effort. And I certainly thank you for trapping that cat up in Salisbury and the other one in <laughs> Newburyport. Those, those were uh, great closure situations for us. And um, thank you, Stacy, so for all of your leadership. And um, it was was a great experience um, working with all those um, those people and having those all those. It really raises raises your consciousness to have all that available to you, and then you bring that out to out here to the wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you again, Laura, for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope we can have you on again in the future. Thank you very much. I hope so. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. If you email me a screenshot of your review with your name and address and your t-shirt size, I will send you a Community Cats t-shirt. The reviews really help. Thanks, everybody. Wow.